Good morning. Kids, memorizing scripture is so good. In our men's discipleship groups, that is one of the things that we do and we find so hard to do. In my group this past week, we stumbled through a verse. It was a hard one, and it was good, and we didn't do well. And I said, how about we do this one again next week? And so it is hard. Kids, learn it now. We remember the ones we learned as kids, and it gets harder as you get older. Store up God's Word in your heart. Well, happy Father's Day. If you don't know me, I'm Mark Barnes. I'm part of the preaching team here during our interim. And um, I just want to open in prayer and ask God to illuminate his word to us this morning. Father God, we come to your word, and I hope we come expecting to hear from you. Not hearing from me, Father, but from you. Jesus, you spoke these words. And we have the privilege of hearing what you spoke. And we also have to respond to it. So I pray you would give us ears to hear and hearts ready to respond to your words this morning, Jesus. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the date was June 15th, 1972. For some of the little kids, they're like, were we even a country then? Yes, we were. And I was a young man of 14 years old, and I remember that day. It was a sunny, beautiful day, and the reason I remember it so clearly, it was 50 years ago. But that afternoon, I heard a lot of sirens going off. I was out in the yard, and I remember thinking, something big is happening. And there was. At a lake nearby, Lake Louise, later in the day, we got news that somebody had drowned. And I remember it hit me. It wasn't somebody got hurt. Somebody had drowned. And later that evening, it hit me even more to find out that a young man, 16 years of age, that went to Palatine High School, was a track star And he and his family also attended this church. Had drowned trying to save two little kids that had fallen into the lake. Doug Lindbergh was his name, and if you read the paper this week, you might have seen it because it was 50 years ago this past week that this happened. Doug was in his backyard, and he heard the screams for help from two little kids that had ventured out on a styrofoam boat onto Lake Louise, and Doug ran towards the lake and had to make a decision. He could either hope that they would survive, he would hope that somebody else could save them, or he would risk it all in trying to save them himself. Doug was the kind of man that went in. And he went out, and in their panic, they grabbed hold of him and started to take him down, and he was able to fight them off and grab the little girl and bring her to shore. And then he headed back out. 
Other neighbors had heard the commotion and had come out to help. And the little boy had been rescued as well. But during all the commotion, what people did not notice was Doug didn't make it. Doug had a choice. He had to make a decision. Doug was willing to risk it all to do what he knew was right, even risking his own life. We're nearing the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is coming to the point here in the next few weeks, he is going to tell those people listening, but he's also going to be speaking to us, you have to make a decision. You've heard me preaching, you've heard me teaching these things. But you can't just walk away. You're going to have to make a decision. And to not make a decision is making a decision. Doug could have just walked away, and that would have been his decision. And so for us, in listening to Jesus' words here over the last months, he's getting to the point where he is going to say there are only two choices, and you need to make a choice. Today we're going to hear him say that there are two gates two paths, two groups of people, and two destinations. In the coming weeks, we'll hear him talk about two trees, two foundations. There's a reason why he keeps saying these things in twos, because he says there are only two decisions. And if you think you can avoid the decision, that is your decision. So today I want you to imagine that you are sitting on that hillside, You have been listening to Jesus and and listen to what he has laid out before you because he's going to ask you to make a decision. Jesus in this sermon started out, we call them the Beatitudes, but he said, you are blessed if you are poor in spirit. You come and you realize you are bankrupt when it comes to spiritual things. You have nothing to offer God. And he says, you are blessed because yours is the kingdom of heaven. That's the way you need to come to God. He says that you are blessed if you mourn over your sin. You are blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then Jesus goes on and says, Don't get me wrong. I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to destroy it, throw it out. I came to fulfill the law. And then he made this incredible statement that we have come back to over and over. And I want you to imagine if you're sitting there listening to this teacher, there are some that are his disciples that he has called. There are some that are his disciples that have said, I want to follow this guy. I believe he is the Messiah. And then there was the crowd. And he makes this statement, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Imagine in our world, think of the most religious person you know, the most sacrificial, the most loving And you would say, oh, godly person. And Jesus said this morning, standing up here, unless your righteousness is better than theirs, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
I can only imagine that some would say, I'm out, I'm done, I got no shot. But Jesus would say, hang on, stay, listen, because I have hope for you. He even went on to say that you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Okay, we we seem to be just raising the bar over and over. But he says then, your righteousness? Don't practice your righteousness before others. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be an actor, one who tries to look religious. He says, that will never get you on the narrow path. What that does, your reward is people seeing that and go, oh, look at that guy. Look at that woman. Look how good and godly they are. He says, that's your reward, but that will not get you on the narrow path. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, Jesus was laying out a foundation. At the very beginning, we said that this Messiah was coming. He was going to be born. And while many thought he would come to rescue Israel, they were told from the very beginning this was the Messiah who had come to save his people from their sins. And Jesus is laying out in this sermon this foundation to show the people for a, their need for a Messiah that would save them from their sins. We have the advantage of looking back at this sermon through the lens and the filter of the cross. But those people sitting there that day didn't have that advantage yet. They are listening to this rabbi and they're taking what he's saying and they're trying to weigh whether they believe this or not. And yet it says at the very end that they heard him speak with authority. Mark, we're we're in the book of Mark in our discipleship group. And over and over and over he just says, and Jesus had authority over this and this. The waves and the evil spirits and disease. He has authority and they heard that as Jesus preached. This man who had authority like no other one. This man who seemed to know this God and not just know about him. This man who shared God's requirements and seemed to know what God desired. So Jesus comes to this point, and he's going to say that there are only two possibilities. The wide gate with the wide path that many enter into. The narrow gate with the narrow path that is difficult and few find it. The question is, how do we know which path we are on? I believe this is the most important question that we could ask ourselves in this life. How do we know which path we are on? It's important because of the destination. One leads to destruction. Eternal damnation is the way it's phrased a lot of times. And one leads to life. And I'm going to ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to examine yourself today. Because I know sometimes we're like, whoa, 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 nope, I don't, I don't want to think about that. Or we go, I, I've settled that, don't, don't, don't make me think about that, I'm good. 
And I think Jesus would say, it's the most important question you can ask yourself. And let the Holy Spirit reveal that in your heart. So let's take a look. Well, this would be great, except, oh, my iPad just disappeared. Okay. (laughs) So let's take a look at these two paths and see if we can understand who would be on which path. Because that's what we really want to know, right? So let's talk about this wide gate that Jesus talks about. What, Dan, go ahead and fire up the wide gate. Okay, wide gate. It just made me think, I, I have never run a marathon, but I've run a few half marathons. And this, this is what it looks like, okay? Um, tons of people. And, and people just cheering. And Jesus says there is the wide gate. Imagine if at the end there was one little turnstile where every runner had to come through. No, we need a wide gate that is inclusive, that allows all to come running through. It's easy. The word easy probably, I think as I studied, meant wide and broad and spacious. Okay? As Jim said, our our society today would say, if this is God, he's got to welcome all. It's accommodating for anybody and everybody. And for most, this wide gate with this wide path feels like the path to life. That's the problem. It doesn't feel like they're on the path to destruction. It feels like this is the path to life. And this morning, Jesus would call out to these people and say, you're on the wrong path. Come follow me. So the question is, who would be on this path? And and this gets a little dangerous, but I I think I I can say some who are on this path based upon what Jesus has said and what he's going to say. And so we look from this vantage point back. But who's on this path? Well, we can start with somebody easy. We can say, those that say there there is no God, okay? I think they would be on this path. They would say, the sign across the large wide gate is nothing beyond this point. We live this life, we die, and that's all there is. So, I live life the way I want. For some, that might be eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Right? There is no God. This is all you get. Grab all the gusto you can. Enjoy life. And then it's over. For some, that might be less selfish, and they'd say, no, no, no. It's about us making rules together that that govern in a way that is beneficial for all of us. I know, though, I'm a selfish guy. In my own right, I am very selfish. And we see that happen. Without the belief that there is a God, we live for ourselves. And Jesus would call out, Hey, you're on the wrong path. You think you're pursuing life. And it's an illusion. It's a mirage. Come follow me. Just because they don't believe there is a God 
doesn't mean that the destination isn't destruction. Who else might be on this path? Well, there are those who hope, maybe have a plan. I've heard this by friends and others, but they have a plan. You see, I, I, I'm young. i got a lot of life to live. And so, I'll think about God someday. But I want to do what I want to do right now. I want to live life the way I want to live life right now. And as I'm running down this wide path, as I see the finish line, I'm going to be looking for that narrow path. And my hope is, as I approach the, the end, or at least later in life, I will search for the narrow path. That's when I will get serious with God. Often they find that life throws them a curve, though. And it's interesting how they look for God in the middle of emergencies. Let me just warn you. If you're there, the Bible tells us over and over how we harden our hearts. If you think you can go without God most of your life and then embrace Him fully, we see over and over that God allows you, He gives you over to your desires and your heart becomes hard. It's like saying, I hate my wife, but at the very end, I love her. No, no, you build up that hard heart, right? We have the thief on the cross. And some would come back to that and say, oh, but look, he lived his life, the whole, and he obviously, he was being killed for what he had done criminally. Not a good guy. And there in those last minutes, he said to Jesus, remember me. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. What I love is, he didn't have time to do anything other than go, I know you are the Son of God. Please remember me. And Jesus saw his heart and said, oh, you will be with me. But if you say, God, I don't need you now. I will talk to you later. So often we will harden our hearts. And we will never in our heart desire all that God has given us. And I hear Jesus calling out to those of you, those out here who say, I just want to live my life now. And he would say, I'm offering life. I'm offering life. Come and follow me. Who else might be on this path? I think for those there, many would fall in this category, but we can too. We're in the right group. We're associated with the right people. These were Jewish people listening to Jesus. Jewish people would often say, we are the children of Abraham. We are God's chosen people. True. And yet, Jesus would say, and you can be far from the Father. So just because you are connected to a group or associated with a group, it will not put you on the narrow gate the narrow path to the narrow gate. 
Maybe, maybe you're someone who would say, oh, my family's been Christian for generations. It's who we are. It's what we do. We go to church. And Jesus would say, if that's all it is, you're on the wide path. You're headed to destruction. Come follow me. I have life. Don't be that actor. Don't be that hypocrite going through the motions. I'm here at church. I'm in. And he would say, if that's what you're banking on, you're on the wide path. I went to Awana. I memorized lots of verses. I got my Timothy Award. I'm in. And Jesus would say, if that's what you're banking on, you're on the wide path. Come follow. I have life. As a kid, Mama, sorry, I'll admit this. I remember as a kid, just a small kid, sitting in church, and the pastor was, was doing what we call an altar call, right? And so he started by asking everybody to bow their heads. And he said, if you are assured that you're going to heaven, you know without a doubt you're going to heaven, would you raise your hands? Everybody's eyes, heads down, eyes closed. I peeked. <laughs> and I looked at my parents who had their hands up, and I went, Good. Why? Because I thought, if they're going to heaven, I'm going to heaven. I'm in the family, right? And Jesus would say, Mark, you're on the wide path. You have to enter the narrow gate by yourself. If you haven't noticed, I'm, I'm bringing down this wide path where it might be getting closer, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit to reveal stuff in us. Because here's one I think people on the wide path, many will say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And yet they have made God in their own image. What do I mean by that? Well, sure, there's other religions, and we would say, okay, they have their gods, they have made God in their own image, and I would say they're on the wide path. But here's what I think Jesus would say. Be careful you haven't made God in your image. A God that you're comfortable with. I hear this a lot. Well, my God wouldn't do that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, you're saying God's like that? My God wouldn't be like that. Well, my God would allow that. They take the God of the Bible and they make him into something they are comfortable with. I got to tell you, there's lots of stuff that this this word of God says about my God that is uncomfortable. I think it was Mark Twain said, it's not the things I don't understand about God, it's the things I do understand about God that bother me. And so I go, there's much that I, that I go, oh, but that's who Jesus, that's who the scriptures declare God to be. And when we decide we are going to shape God into something we are comfortable with, Jesus would say, hey, you're on the wide path. Often we do that because the crowd is cheering, no, 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 this, you can't, that can't be God. Oh, 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 no, I was wrong. This word tells us who God is. 
And if you have made God into your own image, one you're comfortable with. Jesus says the narrow path is hard. He says if, if you made God into something you're comfortable with, you're on the wide path. And he calls out, give it up. Come, follow me, I have life. The Pharisees made God into their own image. God gave law and they said, well, okay. We, I think we default to just tell us the rules. That is religion wrapped up, right? Just tell us the rules. And if I like those rules or I really think this is true, I'll try to do those rules. It's our default. It's in us. Just tell us the rules. And I think that's why Christianity is so hard because God goes, you will never be good enough. You will never follow all of my laws and rules to make it into the kingdom of heaven. But the Pharisees said, okay, all right, murder. Haven't done it. We're good, we're good, we're good, we're good. And Jesus comes along here and he says, well, it, actually, if, if you harbor anger in your heart, you've committed offense against your brother or sister. Adultery. I'm good, I'm good. And he says, actually, if you've looked on a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. You see, the Pharisees go, whoa, 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 how about these and we're good? And I, I'm going to make sure you're not good because I've noticed you're, you're doing things on the Sabbath that we've declared the rules of God, and so you're not good, but I'm good. I'm on the narrow path. And they would say, I'm on the narrow path. They have made God into something that they are comfortable with and they feel like they can do. And Jesus would say, you're on the wide path. You're doing all of these things, keeping all of these rules, and yet you are on the wide path. This next one's going to get a little touchy, but I believe it, and I think we need to hear it. Maybe you're someone who says, as a six-year-old, I prayed to receive Jesus in my heart in Sunday school. Everybody's looking at me like, what am I going to say next, right? Let me, let me say this. That's me. And I want you to hear, I would never, ever, ever turn a child away who wants to know more and to follow Jesus and to receive this precious gift. But if that, if that's what we're banking on, saying a prayer that we go, well, all my life I've done this, but I'm in, I'm in, I've said the prayer to receive Christ, so I'm in, I think Jesus would call out, you're on the wide path. Follow me. So here's what's hard. That's my story. I became a follower of Jesus at age six on a Sunday afternoon. We had communion. And when I went home and I remember going, why do we take that little break in the middle of service and why don't I get some, right? Basically, I'm like, what's that all about? And my parents sat down and told me why we remember what Christ did and my need for a Savior. 
And they said, do you want that? And I said, yes. Now, as a six-year-old, did I, did I understand and embrace all that Jesus has called me to? No. But I believe that that was the beginning of my journey in following Christ. And here's the hard thing. If somebody said, well, when did you become a believer? My answer would be, I don't know. Wait, I'm up here preaching and you don't have the day and the date written in your Bible somewhere? Here's why I don't know. I believe that as a six-year-old, my heart, the Holy Spirit, spoke and said, you need this. But I did not know all that that meant. I was baptized shortly thereafter. But you know what? I saw the gospel lived out in my home every day. My parents lived that out every day. I was raised predominantly in this church. I came here as an eight-year-old. I had many people speak into my life, disciple me about following Jesus. And in that, in that road, my heart continued to desire to follow Jesus. Junior high, I went through a formal education here in this church of the foundations of the faith. That was good. It helped me to understand more of who Jesus is, what he's called us to. In high school, I was blessed with a youth pastor who took a handful of us and said, are you serious about following Jesus? I said, yes. He said, then come on. I want to disciple you. I want you to learn what it means to follow Jesus. I want you to follow Jesus as a disciple. I want you to follow Jesus who makes disciples. As a high schooler, as a freshman in high school. So when did I truly become a follower of Jesus? I think that began as a six-year-old. But I think that there was this, this progression of sanctification, of understanding, where I said, I'm in, I'm all in. I want to follow you, Jesus. But if you say, I prayed, or you say, my child prayed, so they're good, and you leave it there, in love, I think Jesus would say, you're on the wrong path. They're on the wrong path. Love them, but don't just pretend that they're on the right path. Pastor Francis Chan talked about his teenage daughter who was far from Christ. And these are the hard questions. And he one day said to her lovingly, and I think this is so important, lovingly, he didn't say, well, there's no way you're a Christian. But lovingly he said to his daughter, honey, I, I don't think you're a disciple of Jesus. That sounds brutal in some ways, and yet, how does she ever search for the narrow path if she believes she's on it? And he tells how a few years later God got a hold of her life and changed everything. And she found the narrow path. But she doesn't look if she thinks she's on it. And you're okay, you're good. So let's get to the narrow gate. 
What does that look like? What is, God, what is Jesus calling us to when he calls us to the narrow gate? Yeah. It's a narrow gate. Jesus said to them and to us, enter by way of the narrow gate. Here's what I love. He starts off this passage. Two little verses. And he starts off with the narrow gate. He, he goes into what the wide gate looks like. He comes back to the narrow gate. But I love that he starts with the the narrow gate, and says, enter by way of the narrow gate. This is great hope for all of us. You may say, I'm 64 years old. I have lived far from God all my life. I've got no shot. And Jesus would say, no, 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 no. God is calling you. Leave your past. He is calling you. Come, follow me. Enter through the narrow gate. It's hope for all of us. It's the hope that the thief on the cross had, that he was called to enter the narrow gate, and he could. I've heard several stories of people that said, God, God could never love me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've lived. I have lived my life independently. I have lived my life as if there were no God. I have done what I've wanted to. I will never make it up. Because maybe you see the, the narrow path as you do more good than bad. Or it's a, it's a bell-shaped curve, right? As long as I'm not too bad, I'm okay. And you go, oh, but... And Jesus says, I don't care who you are. In fact, I love the Bible tells us it's filled with people that should never have been Enter, allowed to enter into the kingdom of heaven, and yet Jesus goes, no, no, no. This God loves you and is providing a way for you to enter into the narrow gate. So I love that he starts right off and goes, I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I'm offering you passage into the kingdom of heaven. Come and follow me. But he says you have to come by yourself. It's not associated with anybody else. It's not because you've been at a church. You've been an elder. It's none of those things. You have to come alone with nothing. It's not your stuff. Jesus in his sermon said, don't store up treasures here on earth. Instead, do it in heaven. You've got to let all of that go because who you were here on earth means nothing as you come through the narrow gate. Here's what I think he's calling us to. Luke, in his gospel, talks about a very similar story, and Jesus is, is teaching. It's not the Sermon on the Mount, but he uses this example. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. Same thing, okay? He's given a picture. And this word strive, it means in the Greek, intense effort. Agonize. Paul uses this word as an athlete who agonizes to win. He wants to win the prize. And so he agonizes. He works so hard. He uses the same word when he says, fight the good fight of faith. Meaning endeavor with strenuous zeal. You will never accidentally stumble through the narrow gate. Jesus is saying, strive. Come on. Why? It's difficult. And it's not like, oh, you'll never make it. I know a few Marines who 
go through boot camp and, and, and like, and they look at somebody like me and like, nope, nope, you'd never make it. Jesus isn't looking at you and going, mm, the path's hard. Nope, nope, you won't make it. No, he's saying, come on, the path is hard. Why? Because in his Beatitudes, he says, blessed if you pursue righteousness because you will be persecuted for that. The crowd is going this way and going, what are you doing? Knucklehead, idiot, whatever. We're, we're, right? That's our society right now. You can't, are you serious? You're going to wa- follow this ancient God in this ancient book. It's so outdated. He says the path is hard. Now, I say all of that, and I'm just guessing some in your head are going, hang on, you're, you're walking very close to a line of salvation by works or legalism, like, oh, you got to do these things. Here's what I think we've done. We have gotten so afraid of works and legalism that we swing the other way and we go, well, you can follow Jesus, but you don't really have to follow Jesus. And Jesus would say, if that's what you're doing, you're on the wide path. To follow me, you have to follow me. Paul wrote this in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Amen? Okay. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Jesus has just laid out in this sermon that you, your righteousness will never get you into the kingdom of God. You will not make it. And yet, we are called to follow him, to obey. He says, go and make disciples, teaching them all that I've taught you? No, teaching them to obey all that I've taught you. Verse 10, the very next verse, though, in here, emphasizes this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We don't work for our salvation. We work to follow Christ, and we cannot do it. There is nothing in us that wants to or can follow Christ. It's because we starting at the beginning of Matthew. How how do we enter into this narrow gate? They've been laying it out for us. Jesus has been laying it out for us. And the first thing that he said, following John the Baptist, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So Jesus would say, come, follow me. And the way you do that is through repentance. You have to understand you're on the wide path. That's the first thing. And you turn. Repentance is turning from the direction you've been headed and turning towards Christ. You acknowledge that you have nothing to offer spiritually. You are bankrupt. You desire to pursue God's righteousness. And I love that we've talked about repentance isn't about doing more. It's about total surrender. That's what Jesus has called us to. Looking back through the filter of the cross, what we see is Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. The Jews had to sacrifice a lamb where they placed symbolically their sin on this lamb and it was killed in their place to 
to pay for their sin. Jesus, we're going to see as we continue, becomes that sacrificial lamb. And he says, give me your sin. But see, I don't go over to the wide path and say, hey, give me your sin. Okay, I got it. Thanks. Keep going. He says, no, no. Come and follow me and give me your sin. And he took it upon himself. And he became the sacrificial lamb that was crucified, was crushed by the Father for us. Because we are sinners. But then I love the picture of the great exchange because he didn't just take our sin because what we know is we keep sinning. Jesus wants to sanctify us. His Holy Spirit changes us. His Holy Spirit gives us power to start walking and following Jesus. But we sin sometimes and Jesus says, and keep confessing that and I keep taking it. But here's the thing. You can stand before the Holy God the Heavenly Father, not because you're right, but because I am taking my righteousness off after I've taken your sin, and I am putting my righteousness on you. Listen to um, 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's a beautiful picture. For our sake, he, meaning God, made him, meaning Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus says, if you follow me, you make me not only your Savior, but your Lord, your Master. Paul uses the term bondservant a lot. Like, we are no longer our own. We have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we follow. It costs us everything. It's free. It's a free gift. But Jesus says... Die to yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Listen, Matthew 16, we'll get there eventually. Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus said this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I hope you've heard me. Jesus throughout this is saying, I have life. And we can think, when I was young, I always thought of eternal life, like someday I'm going to go to heaven, that'll be great. And maybe some of you have thought, I've, t- I've punched my ticket, I'm going to heaven, I'm okay, but life is really hard right now. And Jesus would say, I'm offering life. And for a Jewish person, eternal life meant all of life. Now, all the way through eternity. So they weren't just looking at someday, someplace. They were looking at right now, and Jesus says, this road, this narrow road, through this narrow gate, leads to life. I've got it. The writer of Hebrews, quoting Old Testament, said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you're hearing this and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning, And say, hey, are you sure you're on the narrow path? Are we sure we're not on the wide path? I don't care if you're a member here, if you're an elder here, or what. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, respond today. Jesus is saying you've got to make a decision. And no decision is a decision. Choose life. 
follow me. Receive my, my offering, my sacrifice for you. I'm going to be up here afterwards. If you'd like to talk, if you'd like to just have conversation about what Jesus is calling us to, I'll be here. There'll be others that can pray. If you need prayer, we'll be up here. But Jesus is calling to you today. I have life. Follow me. Let's pray. Father God, life would be so hard if we had to navigate it on our own. If we just had to follow wherever the crowd was going, we would find emptiness and nothing. And yet you are our creator, the one who knows us so well, completely. Jesus, you know the Father. You've said you and he are one, and you desire for us to be one as well. And you showed us the narrow path. Father, help us to respond to desire, what only you can put in our hearts by your Spirit, to call us towards yourself. to to receive the the sacrifice and offering made by your son Jesus. And Father, we lift up, not only this day and this time, but Father, we lift up our search team as they begin the process of searching for a pastor. Father, we don't want just a, a man. We don't want just a person, a pastor to come. We want your man to be here. Father, we want you to continue doing the work that you've been doing in us and through us. We want to be a part of that. We want to embrace that. And we ask that you don't let us do that on our own strength. And so we come to you and ask by the power of your Spirit you would guide us, direct us. Even now be bringing that man to us. I pray you would guard the hearts of those on the search team. I pray that as, as a people we would be in prayer following you wherever you lead. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.